Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Okay, let's get started. Welcome, everybody. I am happy to see you and happy we can be together today. Hey. Over there. Send you back to prison. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm, I'm, for those of you visiting, I'm Bill Harmon, the senior pastor here. For those of you online, we're glad you could be with us today as well. We've been on a little hiatus because of our uh, Easter celebrations. And uh, again, let me thank the small army of people that it takes to put together Lent and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, but what a blessing it is to be able to share the, the joy of Jesus in those times as well. Um, just so I'll say this a few more times, but just for scheduling purposes, um, we're, we have two weeks, then we're off a week, then we have two weeks. Two weeks, off a week. Two weeks, and we're off a week because it's a voters' meeting here at King of Glory, and uh, so we'll be here together this week and next, then the week off, then the two. For your future planning, the month of June we will have a hiatus from weekly study, but there will be a book study. Um, that I don't know what the book is, but Tara will tell me what the book is, and I will tell you what the book is. <laughs> Uh, and then we will reconvene in July. And in July and August, we'll have a morning Bible study and then Facebook Live in the evening. That's what we did last summer. So morning study in person, no evening study. Oh, don't worry, this will all be given to you. But um, just to let you know kind of where we are. Okay? Okay, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you and praise you for a new day and a new study. Uh, Guide us with the power of your spirit that we may uh, learn more about who you are and who we are with you uh, through the witness of Noah. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, yesterday was my Noah's 17th birthday, and I thought we could do a study on Noah Harmon, (laughs) but it would be a 6 to 12-month study. For sure. So Noah turned 17 yesterday, and for those of you who've been here for a while, he was six when we moved here. He used to be cute. <laughs> now he's now he's whatever he is, right? And now he's handsome. There you go. And listen, clear the roads. He will have his driver's license probably early next week. So. Yeah, we'll send out a, an email blast. <laughs> That's true. He has been driving the lawnmower. He's good at that. <laughs> His driving teacher says that he's a very good driver. And that he's very polite. That means... Usually, I'd, usually I say it means more to me, but no, driving might be a little more important uh, these days as well. So what we're doing is um, uh, Roger approached uh, Tara and I and said, hey, I'm 
taking a group to the, what's it called, the Noah Experience? The Ark Encounter. I was close. Noah Experience, right? Ark Encounter. Um, and at the end of our study today, uh, I'll, Roger will have a few minutes to tell you about that because there's, there's still spaces to go, right? Um, he said, hey, we're taking a bus to the Ark Encounter. Um, I'm thinking about leading a study on Noah. And Tara and I looked at the, the Bible study schedule, and in May we, we hadn't planned anything. Uh, ironically enough, we are planned from June to next June, but we didn't have anything in May. Um, so we wrote Roger back and said, hey, would you mind if we did it? And Roger's like, sure, go ahead and do it. He sent to us through Lutheran Hour Ministries a curriculum that they have. Um, full disclosure, I'm not using very much of it, uh, but it is good. And I'm going to send you home with um, some additional questions that you could keep having the discussion with that Rogers supplied and that Lutheran Hour Ministries has supplied. So you, have a, you can take home the conversation if you'd like. Uh, based on what we're discussing today. And the videos that we're showing you are all available online. They're available, um, I think it's on, Larry. Yeah, all I have is the movie, so there's no other slides. Um, so you know, if you didn't catch everything that's in here today, go to Lutheran Hour Ministries, write Noah in there, and it'll come up. It's, it's part of their men's Bible study network, which they don't even do anymore. Um, so don't let that... Don't let that be an issue for you um, if you're not a man, okay? <laughs> um, so hopefully this will give you some um, renewed interest in uh, the whole Noah experience. And if you'd like, where is He'll tell you later. Okay, so let's start with the movie, okay? Take a look at this. Hopefully it works. said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. hear of Noah's Ark, what comes to mind? A bedtime story, a fairy tale, a myth, a, a legend? Is it just an insignificant incident from the distant mists of time that is totally irrelevant for the Bible after the first 11 chapters of Genesis? Does it even matter whether there was a great flood or not? 
One of the most important perspectives on the Old Testament person, Noah, actually comes from the New Testament. Now, if it's not enough that the apostles mention Noah, Christ himself in Matthew chapter 24 actually mentions Noah again as an opportunity to teach further about his own second coming. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. If Noah and the flood were significant enough for Jesus to use them to illustrate his return on Judgment Day, then it's certainly deserving of an extended study. So let's take a look at some of the issues that are involved. Could Noah have possibly been 600 years old when the, the flood came? Did ancient people like Noah have technology to build a huge ocean-going ship? Could all those animals really fit in the ark? Where did all the water come from? And where did it all go afterwards? Why is it that almost every ancient culture has a story of creation and a story of the flood? Ken Ham is the president and CEO of Answers in Genesis U.S. and the highly acclaimed Creation Museum. He has appeared on numerous network and cable news programs and is in much demand as a speaker on the topic of creation. The Bible's not the only source where we hear about this destructive flood. It's throughout the world, isn't it? When I went to university, I remember one of my professors saying the Babylonians have stories about a flood uh, just as you're reading the Bible, so it's obvious the Jews borrowed their stories from the Babylonians. Well, I would say it was the other way around. Actually, when you read the Babylonian accounts, for instance, uh, one of the accounts has a boat that's a cube about six stories high. Now, if you think about it, that wouldn't be a very stable boat. When you look at the Bible's account, uh, the ship there that Noah was instructed to build has a six-to-one ratio. In other words, it was built as a real ship to survive a real flood. But it's not just the Babylonians. The yeah, Australian Aborigines, for instance, uh, they have a number of accounts of a flood that a man built a raft, he had three sons, it landed on a mountain, God put a rainbow in the sky at the end. Very similar elements to the Bible, but so do other cultures all over the world. Now, how could this be? Well, I suggest it's not that the Jews borrowed this story from the Babylonians or whatever, but that God's record in his word has been handed down. And since the time of the Tower of Babel, when God gave different languages because of man's rebellion, people took those accounts with them. They changed them. There's elements that are still similar, but it attests to the fact that there was a real flood in history. That might explain why we find traces of the Bible's flood account embedded in the very language of China. What I'm about to show you is just absolutely fascinating. I don't know how many of you know ancient Chinese, but the written Chinese language is based upon characters or uh, pictures that tell a story. Consider this. The word for devil is the compound of three word characters, garden, mankind, and lie. Remind you of Genesis 3? The word for forbidden is the compound of two word characters, tree, and God's command. And finally, and, and when the first time I saw this, I was really amazed. The word for flood is the compound of these three word characters. Eight, within, boat. Is this simply a cultural accident? Or is the presence of creation and flood stories, the long-forgotten echoes of Noah and his sons sitting around and recounting the details of the flood to their children, grandchildren, and, and great-grandchildren. So who was this Noah? 
We first meet him at his birth in Genesis 5.29. Lamech, his father, gives him the name Noah, which means rest, comfort, or relief. For Lamech said, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Chapter 5 in Genesis lists the genealogy from Adam down to Noah. The next chapter sets the framework for the flood and answers the puzzling question why God would create a beautiful, magnificent earth filled with a wide variety of animals and humans and then turn around, regret creating it, and decide to destroy it with a flood. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So here, the sons of God are probably godly sons that are godly and are serving God and trusting Him. And then the daughters of men would reflect those that turned away from God. And so that when the sons of God intermarried with the daughters of men, we have a godly line of people intermarrying with an ungodly line of people, resulting in all people being ungodly in the end, because the wicked corrupt the good in subsequent generations. As more and more humans rejected their creator, he set down an ultimatum. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Well, 120 years is, is not spelled out in the kind of detail that we'd like to have. So you have these two options. Lifespan will be no more than 120 years. The problem with that interpretation is that we have a lot of people subsequent to Genesis 6 that lived to be a lot longer, but a lot older than 120 years of age. So that makes the other interpretation much more likely that there's going to be 120 years between the time that God says, I'm not going to strive with mankind anymore. I'm going to give them a limited amount of time to turn back to me, to repent, and also to give Noah time to build this massive ark that would have been a huge architectural accomplishment in that day. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Uh, the word Nephilim comes from the Hebrew word to fall, so it would mean fallen ones or falling ones. So the Nephilim are probably mighty warriors, strong, sturdy men. And so these were people that were looked up to by the people of their day. God is painting a vivid picture of the humans he was preparing to wipe off the face of the earth with the flood. But he wasn't finished yet. The judgment continues. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. It's very possible that the long lifespans of people in those early chapters of Genesis is one of the reasons why wickedness became more prominent and rampant all over the earth. Because people were living longer, not only can, can good people live longer, but wicked people can live longer and continue in their wickedness and discover new ways to sin. Mankind is getting worse and worse. 
Then verse 8 changes it all up. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 9, we see for the first time how much Noah stood out from the other humans. Listen to how he was described. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And what does it mean to be righteous and blameless? What does walk with God mean? To walk with God is to live a godly life, to be concerned about right and wrong, and to seek to do that which is right. Because it's not a phrase that's used of any of other Noah's contemporaries, that means he distinguished himself as being a godly man who not only lived a godly life, but had the faith in the promise of a Savior that made that righteous living possible. In the next session, we'll look at the construction issues for the ark. But first, there's a big credibility issue. In chapter 7 of Genesis, we read, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, the fountains of the great deep burst forth. According to the Bible, Noah was 600 years old when the flood came and lived another 350 years after that. In fact, if the sixth chapter of Genesis is to be believed, most people before the flood lived extremely long lives. No wonder people find these first chapters of the Bible hard to believe. But if it's true, how did people live that long? Before joining the staff at Answers in Genesis, Dr. David Menton served as Associate Professor of Anatomy at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. The average age of the genealogy of Adam is over 850 years old. Was it really possible for people to live that long before the flood? What would account for that? Well, you know, uh, if you look at somebody like Methuselah, he lived to be 969 years old, and what a pity he died then, such a young man. Now, how can I say such a young man? <laughs> you know, in a way, our body doesn't get older. It's been estimated that probably no part of your body ever gets over about 15 years old. For example, our skin, completely the surface layer, the epidermis, turns over every month. So if we don't see one another for a month, a whole new skin. Uh, our uh, GI tract lining is turning over in four, four days. Uh, blood cells, red blood cells, 100 days or so. White blood cells, a week or so. Really, it's just the brain and the heart muscle, it probably doesn't turn over very much, but even they are turning over molecule by molecule. So uh, something went wrong after the fall, <laughs> where even though our body is constantly replacing and making itself new, it just isn't doing it right. So for example, an old person like me has skin that isn't stretchy anymore, and yet it's no older skin than uh, younger people have. Uh, so I don't find it too surprising people live to be that age. I guess the real surprise is what on earth happened that they don't live very long anymore. In our next session, we'll look at the ark and examine how a 500-year-old man could build such a huge ocean-going vessel without power tools. Our interesting stuff, right? Hey, I, if anything, you can leave here today saying, you know what? I've got 15-year-old skin. <laughs> right? feel pretty good about that. <laughs> Take that, Noah Harmon, right? So we, I want to I hear your thoughts on what you heard, but I do want to...
prep you in two ways. One is, I don't know how many of you have seen or been a part of this Marvel Avengers movie trend that's been going on for about 20 years, just so you know. Uh, the, the, Aven- the Avengers Endgame is... The, yeah, there we got one, right? Well, they say it's beat, it has beat every box off, office opening ever in the history of movies. Uh, last week, it beat it. So Jack is a big fan. Jack is my oldest son, and he's a big fan. And we're talking to him, and uh, he's, <laughs> he's prepping us. He wants to go see it with us. And he has, <laughs> he has sent us a tutorial on what other movies we should watch in preparation for it. I actually wrote Jack. I said, you know, if you spent this much time, if you spent as much time on the Avengers in the Bible, you'd be a scholar, a biblical scholar. He didn't respond back to me. So, um, but, and Jack was saying, you know, this has been a part of his, he's 21. This has been a part of his life. Um, and then he said this interesting thing. He said, um, it's amazing to me that when they first started the first movie, someone knew what the last movie would be like in some degree because of the way it could, the thread that goes through it, right? Um, that's his take on it. Of course, I always think biblically and sermons, right? And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the nature of God, right? So in Genesis... Think about this. In Genesis, God is thinking about your life today. That he's God, right? So in Genesis, God is thinking about Easter. (laughs) So for us, in the 21st century, when we read these Old Testament accounts, we, we should not help and cannot help but go to the cross first, right? Go to the empty tomb. Oh, I gave mine away. There you go. Readers got it. Uh, you're my witness. I was wearing it. Okay, good. So um, we should always go to the empty tomb first because it, it helps reveal to us the power of what we're reading in Genesis, right? So I want that mindset for you, that perspective for you. First of all, don't, don't deny yourself that is what I'm saying. Because you know my standard, right? Because if Christ can't rise, be raised from the dead, uh, no, backwards. If Noah can't live 600 years, then Christ can't be raised from the dead. See the swinging pendulum, right? So just keep those things in mind. So what did you hear that you thought was interesting from there? And then we're going to read. Some, we're gonna actually read the account from the scripture. What did? Yeah, John. Oh, I'm sorry. The thing I, makes me wonder about all I'm out of practice, Larry. I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Um, we look at how bad the world is today and how bad people are and, and things like the Holocaust. And yeah. you wonder, what were they doing then yeah. that was so bad right. that the, God felt compelled to do that? Yeah. I, I can't imagine what were they doing. Yeah. I mean, you, when, you, when you look at the perspective of evil... <laughs> Uh, we can point out a lot of evil, um, and you have to wonder what was occurring then that, is, that isn't occurring today, right? I also want to challenge oh, – I'll wait. I'll wait see what you all say. Yes, Sue. Hold on. Larry's going to come up. Go ahead. 
I think what saves us from all the wickedness is the promise. The sure. Promise, the rainbow, he said he wouldn't do that again. I mean, it doesn't mean that he won't do something else, but I always hang on to that promise that no matter how wicked things become, he made a promise to us. Yeah, I, I have two thoughts on that. You, you have led me to say what I was going to say, which is, on the one hand, you think um, whenever there's something horrific in our lives and we say, why doesn't God do something about this? For us, we, the answer would be, he has. <clears throat> Reminds me of a sermon. The tomb is empty, right? So our perspective is that he has done something about it. It doesn't maybe make that horrific event go away right away, but we do have a perspective of which we live by. I think the, the question I would connect to John's point is, why does he just come again? Right? Because that's what Christ leads us to look at the Genesis account as a warning to the suddenness of the return of Christ. And, uh, and by the way, you really want to feel bad about yourselves today. <laughs> um, tell me your name again. Barbara, we, hopefully we'll have you feel good about yourself. But hang in there. We're going to get there, all right? Uh, uh, only Noah was found righteous. So, there were, so in, the, in the course of this room, only one of you are going on the boat, <laughs> Right? <laughs> and maybe we're not in the room, right? Yeah. Um, so I go back to how many people thought they were pretty good, right? And the suddenness of that flood that comes, um, I think the temptation often is to think about how bad things are even today. I always believe that the first place we should be looking is at ourselves. Where, where, do, where am I in the Noah account? And is God coming to me, or am I one of those uh, number of different categories of people, right? Am I, I, I liked how he described the name, the Hebrew name, right? Am I already fallen? Am I falling? <laughs> and I'll add another one. Or do I think I'm okay, and I'm really not okay? To me, those are the valuable things of the Noah experience. Yeah, Linda. A couple of things hit me. One, the fact that God was sorry he made creation and people. I don't think of God regretting decisions that he made. Now, I know Jesus wept over Jerusalem, but that's a different picture. You know, there's that picture of the Indian chief with a tear coming down his cheek that's very powerful. But So that's one thing, the idea that God was sorry. And then the other thing that's interesting to me is that apparently only Noah was righteous, but his wife and his three kids and and their wives just by association, I guess, with him. Yeah. were were rescued. Yeah, who says it doesn't matter what family you're born into, yeah. right? <laughs> uh yeah, they all get to go to Wasn't that fascinating? The ancient Chinese Words, really fascinating. Um, And by the way, Noah ain't no saint. Let's just put that out there. Um, As so, to John's to John's point before, right? How bad were those people? 
they were so bad, they looked Noah looked good. Right? Because we know Noah's got some issues that we'll see a little later on. Kevin, hold on a second. Yeah. Noah was most certainly a saint. The issue is he was also a saint. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. The other point I'd like to make while I have the mic. Uh, when God announces that he will not uh, deluge us with a flood again, yeah. he also makes the point that it's because man is a miserable sinner. And so now he's reconciled himself to that fact. It's yeah. not that we're any better. Correct. And the only and in addition to that, the only way we become better is through him. Right? When I was uh Ken, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, maybe you want to finish your thoughts. No, no, I don't. Okay. Uh God was sorry. Uh God changed his mind throughout the Old Testament. And so he knows us, all this stuff. Why is he sorry now? <laughs> Didn't he know the world could fall? Yeah. Oh, you're taking Gary Tuflian's role for me in New York, uh, my Armenian member who would who would jump all over this and say, see, God's not perfect, right? God can't be perfect because he's sorry. He regrets. He should have known better. Um, I, I, we'll get into this a little bit more in there. I don't think I'll satisfy your comment. But um, I think that um, I think we see here, actually, and my, this is local theologian Bill Harmon. What a worm am I? Um, I think these are moments that we see the relational aspect of God and that they shouldn't be overshadowed that um, because God's in a relationship with us, there are moments for God where he is willing to uh, be repentant or lenient in his decision, right? He, the, the truth is God could say black is black and white is white. And this is what's going to happen. But there are moments in scripture where God you know, uh, deals, wrestles with people in a relational way. When I was a, a seventh or eighth grader at Emmanuel Christian Day School in Baltimore, which is a Lutheran school, um, which sadly Lutheran schools are closing all around us. My Gail's Christian Lutheran School in Queens announced they're closing this year. Uh, Church in Dover, Delaware, St. John's is closing their school this year where Pastor Kringle came from. Um, anyway, we did the musical Noah. <laughs> and I still have. My mother kept the cassette recording. It's hilarious. And you know what's funny? After all these years, I could sing every, I build me an ark, Noah, build me. I could sing all the songs. I still know them. And what's really funny, Roger, is that when Gail... Forsty was in seventh or eighth grade at, at her Christian day school. They did the same thing. So, but I remember the songs a little better than Gail. Just say it for the record. Turn to Genesis six, Genesis six. Good news. Genesis is really easy to find the Bible. It's the first book of the Bible. Genesis six. In fact, I learned in uh, studying this for you that either the song is wrong or, 
theologians are wrong on how big the ark was because we used to saying five feet wide. I can't remember the or hundred and fifty feet long. We used to. Do you remember it, Pastor? Did you sing it? You do. Oh, maybe later. All right. So, um, so here's the challenge. In four weeks, it's actually not possible to do the entire Noah experience uh, in the scriptures, in the time that we have here. So with Roger's help, Lutheran Hour Ministries' help, we have selected sections to point you to that connect with the video that we, that we had, right, to give you some context around it. Uh, because it takes five or six chapters or sections in here to really get to it. So uh, this is chapter 6, and I'm going to read it today before our online people, okay? Starting with verse 5 to the end of the chapter. Now, this time, I want you to be listening for things you hear in Scripture that are interesting to you uh, and that, you know, maybe you want to wrestle with or talk about as we go along, okay? So this is Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that very and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's interesting. The last time I read this, I really boldly underlined continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the, bless you. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, and I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I like Ham the best. best. Uh, Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it, finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which in the breath of life under heaven. All flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping things in the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as a food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. 
All right, what did you hear? Up here, there, for Steve first, then Paul. You know, the, the continuing, continually bit. Uh, it sounds like there was never a good thought in man's heart at the time. Yeah. It was so, all-encompassing, right? It was all-encompassing. Yeah. And I don't think the world is that way today. I mean, there are a lot of good people with a lot of, even though we are all sinners. Yeah. You know. And I guess the other part was, I think uh, verse 6 talks about man's free will that God had given. Hmm. That, and that's why he grieved it. They were sorry he made them that for that. Yeah, he yeah. gave them free will and they misused. It. Yeah. Okay. That's sure. Yeah. Paul. This is probably trivial, but it's not. It's not something that I heard in here. Yeah. It's something I didn't hear. The fish got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my guess is some fish die because of the, the nature of the floods, you know. Uh, Pastor, go ahead. Uh, right next to you, Larry. <laughs> Gordon. The Nephilim, I, I've never understood who they were and where they came from and what exactly was the transgression. Yeah, I thought it was interesting what this guy said about them, right? The, this fallen nature of humanity, but you can make a case that was everybody on some level at that point, right? Yeah, John. The, uh, the precision of the uh, description of how he was to build a boat is kind of surprising to me. But I had never noticed before that it was made out of gopher wood. Yeah. Anybody know what that is? Uh, some say cypress. Um, we'll get, hopefully we'll get to my notes about that in a minute. So I didn't buy into the explanation of the sons of God. And I know pastors want to push back. It's sensational, and there's all sorts of problems. To me, that means they were fallen angels, and they found a way to procreate because they were trying to delete the gene pool. And Nephilim are not entirely human. But the prophecy cannot come to pass if true man cannot be born because they've deleted the gene pool. And I think it's acceptable because everywhere else, son of God means supernatural angelic being. And I think there's a tendency to push back. It's like, ew, I don't, but to me, then that, you get into the evil there and it's, it's, there's more, the Nephilim are not entirely human. So you're saying there's a supernatural aspect to this here. It should be why there's a flood. It's like, first of all, no, I'll make it so you can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get rid of the thing that you made, hmm. whatever provision, um, if there's other interpretations, you could say what they said, but I don't buy it. I think it means there was a supernatural okay. statement defiant. Right. All right. So I'm going to make the prophecy in Genesis 3 not come true because I'm so smart. I'm going to make it so there are no humans and Jesus cannot be a true man. It's an interesting perspective. I'll be one of the many clergy who push back on you in that, <laughs> as you might expect, Right. Uh, I think either way, what we're looking at is uh, what's being revealed to us is the depth of fallenness that has occurred here, right? And um, and to your point earlier, it is it is so uh, dark that that God's way of solving it is 
destroying it, right? Let me show you some other things in here for time's sake. Um, and as we go along, feel free to, you know, comment. Uh, in 5, 6, and 7, we sort of see a formula from God, right? Verse 5 is what God saw. Verse 6 is how he felt about it. And verse 7 is what he'll do about it. So in those three verses, we sort of get a synopsis of what's about to occur. Um, no one receiving God's, no one is receiving God's anger because they're human. God is moved to anger by man's deliberate violation of the code of which God wills the world to live, right? So it's not, in essence, their humanity. It's how they're living out their humanity, right? Um, and this goes to Steve's point a little bit, which is we would not argue with God's creative abilities, Rather, what humanity has done with those creative with those creative abilities, right? I thought it was interesting that you almost get the sense when you read these verses that there is an infestation, right? Anyone have a lot of ants lately? By the way, we ha- it's like we it's like the ants live at our house, and when it rains, they're like, "Oh, we're here, we're visiting. Where's the sugar?" <laughs> you know what kills ants immediately? Windex. Oh, I'm an ant killer. Boom, just kills them on the spot. I'm like God in the flood. <laughs> no. Larry, Linda, Linda's up here. While you're doing that, Linda, I'll come back to you. Um, you know, not that it's t- totally solidified yet, but already we see first commandment issues, right? Humanity wants to be God. Selfishness, right? Uh, yes. So what sin did the animals and creepy things create? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I think that uh, here is an opportunity to think of two different ways, right? One is uh, just as there's a positive consequence for Noah's family, there is a negative consequence for creation and humanity's selfishness, if you will, right? If you really want to open a can of worms, we could say, look at what we're doing to the world today, right? Some people think that we're, mis- we're being poor stewards of the world today. That's not the world's fault. It's our selfish pride, that kind of thing. That would be one conversation. The other thing would be that, um, oh, the other, one was my, the other one was actually my first point. <laughs> that, that was one, oh, that um, be, because... God wanted to start anew. Um, he wipes everything out for, in essence, this fresh slate to show the, the, the awesome power of who he is versus creation. Ken. Uh, the word righteous, I, I believe there's a lot of righteous people today in the sense that while we're sinners, we esteem and behold God as God. And in fact, Christians will say, Jesus is it. Uh, no was a righteous man. To me, that implies that he was one of the few, if not the only one, that uh, he and his family that were God-fearing at that time. And it reminds me of Lot, when Abraham had this discussion, and all three, four, three, four, how many came out of uh, Sodom? So, 
is a parallel that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, we want to be careful not to, you're not doing this, but to overinterpret righteous in the way that we know it through the resurrected Christ. Uh, but there are, and I would say that we actually learn what it means at the very end of the passages we read today. Notice in 6, 5 to 12, 22, uh, Noah has no response. We hear nothing of Noah in response, except at the very end, he obeys God. And I think there's an obedience factor here that we probably weren't seeing in the society at that time. A uh, little trivia for you, if you're ever playing a biblical trivia, Noah is the 10th, it's a 10th generation from Adam. And um, to be blameless is to be found without defect. Uh, some would say maybe a better word is wholesome. But the reason that we like the word blameless is because when we bring a sacrifice to God, we look for that sacrifice to be without defect, right? Blameless, if you will. Um, he, he is of sound heart and mind. And again, I would say, knowing what we know now, he's obedient to God. And, and by the way, throughout the scriptures, um, there are horrific sinners post-flood who are still obedient to God. They, and the, the, the best example, of course, is King David, who is not a great guy, frankly. Um, considered a great king. And I would say to you that his greatness is found that even in his struggle with his sinfulness, he returns to God time and again. And I think, frankly, I think that's one of the reasons why God loves him so dearly is because he ultimately has an obedient heart to God, even though he wrestles with his humanity. Kevin. I just want to take up uh, Linda's point about the creatures. Yes. Adam was steward of creation. Adam fell. Creation fell with him. Thank Animals you. Animals are sinful. This was the second part. You've reminded me. I wasn't going to say it as eloquently as you. What I was going to say is uh, we live in an imperfect world, and therefore everything else is imperfect too. Now, do they deserve the same punishment as humanity? Clearly here, yes. Kevin says it a little better. Everything has fallen, and therefore they get wiped out too. Thank you. I'm just going to add one more thing. Please. The animals don't have a choice. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We're the ones with the choice. Right. We did that to them. Mm. Good. Okay. By the way, speaking of animals, Guy's having a play date today with Hubble. So Guy was raised by the Overturfs. The Overturfs now have Hubble. Hubble and Guy are playing together today. So Guy will come home and be like, oh, what did you do that for? Right? The Hebrew word uh, for ark, the Hebrew word for ark uh, is only found in two places. Here, does anyone else have a guess the other place? No, but good guess. No, Moses is placed in a ark, a basket. And then sent down the river, right? Exodus 2, 3 to 5. Two remarkable persons from Scripture are saved from drowning from the waters in an ark. I thought it was kind of cool. Another little trivia thing. So when you go to the ark to Jeopardy, yes. By the way, is that guy still on? Yes. 
is, what's he up to? He's got some brain there that can, right? But he is brilliant on those daily doubles, right? Quick. Yeah, and he's a, he's a professional gambler. Uh, I forgot why I was saying that. Okay, uh, gopher wood. It's only found here in the Old Testament, in this passage here. Um, and covering it with pitch would be caulking. And I just found this pretty funny. And Pastor and Kathy Freilich will, I think, find this equally funny, as well as anyone else who lived in Long Island for any time. In the commentary I was reading and preparing for this, they said, uh, cover it with pitch, which equals culting, or smear. <laughs> which in New York, you say smear, you put smear on it, right? So here it is. It's from Noah. <laughs> John. It's interesting that Jesus, in the passage that was in the video, said that it's, the world is going to be just as evil when he comes as it was in Noah's time. And don't we see that, the spread of evil and lifestyles and the acceptance of that by even Christians? You know, John, I think, I think yes. I think the obvious answer is yes. Um, I'll, I'll say uh, for me, I, I go back to John's point earlier. I don't know that I see... Personally, off the top of my head, I'm not sure I think I see the the enormity of evil that compares to the Holocaust at the moment. Um, that doesn't mean things aren't evil, right? I'm, what I'm trying to say is we can go back to 300 A.D., to 600 A.D., to 1500 A.D. I mean, let's just take the uh, the Reformation era and the horrific abuse of the Christian church. If, if God wasn't disgusted with what his church had become, right? So what I'm trying to say is, yes, I think that these evil, we will, we're always going to have evil generations. And yes, is this time evil too? Certainly. Um, what I don't know that I fully understand is what is evil enough for God to come back? Because I don't think that's the nature of, of which he's determining he'll come back. When we, when we look in the, and you're not suggesting this, I know that, John, but when we look in the New Testament, we see time and again that God is um, long-suffering in his return. He's patient in his return, even amidst the evil, because it's his desire for people to ultimately come to him, right? So I would say, um, as we see evil increase in our time, that's a call for us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Larry, you may bring the microphone to you. I will challenge okay. your statement. I think abortion is greater than the Holocaust. Um, number of lives that have been killed are certainly more. Yeah, I'd be careful saying that at a synagogue, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> uh, certainly... Um, certainly there is evil in that intent, right? Um, I think, Larry, we have, you and I have differing points. And my point is this, that, that evil is nothing new. And the horrific nature of evil is nothing new. Um, maybe, what, maybe the new concepts of evil that people come up with are surprising. Um, I'm trying to help you all focus on the fact that 
in the midst of an evil age, uh, the, the church is called to take a stand, right? Proclaim the truth and share the gospel, right? Those are three things that we're called to do as church. Take a stand, proclaim the truth, share the gospel. And so, yeah, by all means, we should uh, be mindful of that. Yeah, John. So the reason I, my first point was I don't see the flood as an arbitrary thing where God lost his temper, that it was no different than it is now. There was something, and we don't really need to know what it was, but he did it because things had gotten so bad that he had to do that. Yeah. And that's the thing I'm searching for. It, it baffles me, but evil is always baffling. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think your introductory point is really good because what it does is it, it, it frustrates Larry. And it frustrates John, and I mean that, and it frustrates me, because, because if, these thing, if these current things we find horrific, why aren't they horrific enough for him to do it again, right? Um, and I'm not suggesting they're not horrific. What I'm suggesting is we live by the empty tomb, and therefore our perspective is different than in Genesis. And... What our perspective is, is that um, we live in the shadow of a, of a victorious Savior who, in the midst of evil, shines the light of light in darkness, right? I could give you a John 1. We could give you lots of scriptures where in the midst of a dark world, the light shines. I'm not going to let you all get away with it, though, because I know you want to get away with it. I know you want to point to everyone else's evil. But when you read scriptures closely, ultimately God wants to convict you of your evil. It's very easy for Christianity to say, well, look at them. I'm not them. But at the end of the day, one of the problems in Genesis with the people of Noah was they had no concept of what they were doing themselves. And so... By the way, the beauty of our liturgy provides this opportunity for you every single week. We start the service by coming to God and saying, I am horrible. Hang in there, Barbara. We're going to make it good again, all right? I am horrible. I have sinned. I am evil. I am evil. Forgive me, Lord. Um, I repent. I'm wrong for this. And in our repentance, in our repentant nature... We say, ah, the tomb is empty, and therefore we are made new again. Let's really get to it, right? We come, before the, we come to church on Sunday, and we say, we gather together in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. You're going to see a new worship note this week. Some accompany that with the making of the sign of the cross. And in doing so, we remember our baptism, which is a great flood that washes away the darkness of a life without God and brings to life a life with God, right? So we begin our service uh, with the flood in our mind in a good way. We've been born again through our baptism. And then we come and say, even though I had the baptismal promise, Lord, I'm evil in your sight, forgive me. We start that way so that we can then be made new. All right, let me just tell you a couple other things. Uh, the ark is 400 feet long, 73 feet wide, 40 feet high, 44 feet high, 
43,000 tons. What's the point? Uh, it's seaworthy. They mention that, right? It's not a cube. <laughs> By the way, there's lots of ancient cultures that speak of a flood. Um, this is the best boat. This ark is larger than any of the ships that Columbus and his caravan had brought over. I tried to look up the size of the boats at Jamestown. I ran out of time. I was going to give you perspective. D. Oh, I know they're small. I wanted to give you perspective as far as, as that's concerned. Yes. You don't have the microphone, Kevin. I know you don't. Yes. <laughs> and D has it. I mean, let her talk. <laughs> All I was saying was that not only is the ark as described seaworthy, but that that was far beyond the arts of men to create a vessel that large and seaworthy. Even today, we have to be careful because our container ships, if not done properly, will tend to snap in half yeah. and kill everyone aboard. Um, yeah. This was not a minor feat. And, and thus, John, I think why God gives Noah the reason, the, the, the dimensions to build it. D. I was just going to say that at another church that we used to attend, um, they, uh, we did a study of Noah, and it was brought out that the dimensions and the uh, scale of the ark is what is the standard today. But that was, I mean, they can be bigger, but right. they have to be to that same scale. Hmm, interesting. And the other thing, in my defense, since yeah. I said, where is the ark? You said, oh, not Peter. But in Peter, it says, just as the ark raised everyone, you know. It, it's a, Say it, read, Did you have it? Yeah, I do. Read it. Right I've been wrong four other times in my life. I've never wrong. <laughs> uh, so, um, I just was reading it. Uh, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Here it is. As, because formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight, were brought safely through the waters. Baptism corresponds to this, now saves you. Yes. Thank you, Dee. You are right, and I'm, and I'm happy. I gave you the correspondence to baptism, too. What's the passage? For, well, look it up, and I'll announce it again. One last thing to share with you, then I have to go to another engagement. Give Roger two minutes to tell you about the ARC bus trip, okay? Um, you know I like to do this, so I'm going to do it. I promised Barbara we'd end with grace, so I'm going to end with grace, right? Time and again in scriptures, even in the wrath of God, we see grace. So God comes... To, go ahead, you got it? Okay, it's First Peter 3, uh, 20 through, well... Well, to the end of that section. Okay, great. 20 and following. Notice in this passage that even though God has said he's going to flood the earth, and even though he said um, the whole world will be destroyed, he still, even before he does it, he makes a covenant. He announces the covenant with Noah. So now, for everyone else, it's bad news. But for for us today, we see once again this glimmer that even in God's anger, he has grace. He wants to provide a path by which life can continue. Life will be restored. 
And so he gives this covenant. Pastor, you don't think he's giving a covenant? Yeah, lots of covenants, right? Yes, agreed. When when, um, Cain and Abel sin, there's grace. Yeah. Here there's grace. In the Tower of Babel, there's grace with Abraham. Yeah, I'm certainly not suggesting this is the first time. What I'm saying is we see a pattern of a God of grace, for sure. Hey, good discussion today. There's a, there's a continued discussion guide right here on this table, or someone can pass them out. Roger's going to tell you more about the boat, the visit to the boat, and we'll see you Sunday. Barbara, we have services at 8, 9, 30, 11. You can come to all three of them if you'd like. I'll be there. All right? Okay. So I think it's fair to say all of us are under 100. What do you think about living another five or 600 years? And although he said our bodies are renewing, he didn't mention knee joints or hips. So I don't know about that. Uh, just want to tell you a little bit about the, uh, the trip to the ark, which is a full-size replica of Noah's ark in Kentucky. It's co-sponsored by the Senior Connect here at King, King Glory and the Colonial Heritage Travel Club. It's going to be uh, from Tuesday, June 4th through Friday, June 7th. We're going to have a pickup at both Colonial Heritage and one here at uh, King of Glory. Uh, it will be an early uh, pickup. But uh, we're going to visit the Ark Encounter, which has the full-size replica. Also, the Creation Museum. We'll have a tour of Cincinnati, and we'll have dinner on a river cruise on the Ohio River. Uh, everything's inclusive. Your breakfast, lunch, or not the lunch, breakfast and dinner, Transportation, gratuities are all included in the, all admissions. So, and the hotel and everything. So we'll have um, information sheets and a registration form out on the table when you leave. Also out there, if you didn't sign in, please sign in. And if you can leave your email address, I'll send you the questions for next week, the week ahead. Because next week, we're going to find out what a qubit is. And how he got all the art, uh, animals on the ark. So make sure you come back again. Uh, I think I covered everything. So if you have any questions, see me uh, after we get finished. So let's close with a prayer here. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for choosing Noah to save our human race from the devastating flood. As you declared him righteous for Jesus' sake, give us that same declaration, and embolden us to share our Savior with our family, friends, and neighbors, that they might escape the wrath to come when he returns on the last day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thank you all for coming. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.